Difference makers all face the same question. How can we initiate, drive and sustain change in any of its forms, whether it be social change, behaviour change, policy change or, at its most challenging, system change? Massive Small Stories presents lessons from all over the world, amplifying how amazing people have done amazing things throughout their careers. It celebrates those who have overcome all odds by pursuing their purpose in life and have influenced change for all of us. These are our massive small agents of change. Welcome to Massive Small Stories. Um, Isaac, good to have you with us today. Hello, Kevin. Um, Isaac is our, is our producer, and uh, he's sitting in for Liam today, who's once again gets sidetracked into something else, <laughs> as he normally does and normally lets us down. But anyway, uh, uh, he's, a, he's a really good substitute, our Isaac. Um, we're very, very fortunate to have someone I, I found incredibly influential when we were writing uh, the Massive Small Change book, uh, and that's Jason Roberts. Um, Jason's um, uh, an artist, civic activist, um, urban designer, and now an entrepreneur as well. Um, and uh, he comes to us today from one of his social ventures, which is a, a brewery. Mm -hmm. So if we hear any noises of clanking bottles in the background or steam going off, then we know exactly what those noises are. So Jason, really good to have you on board. It's great to be here. Thanks, guys. You were incredibly influential when we were writing the book. I think your TED talk um, galvanized a lot of us. Uh, when you got up there and just said, this is what we did. We just went out one day and we kind of broke every rule in the book and we just went and did it. And, you know, I love the fact that you, your first organization, you called yourself a transit authority. I mean, that's just, yeah. that's, that's ballsy. I mean, you've got to, you've got to really, you know, think big if you, if you want to deal with it, with say cycling, but you call yourself a transit authority. And I think it gave you, I probably gave you a lot of purpose. And through that process, you got an enormous number of grants to improve the, that, that street. Our streetcar street and um and i think your your message has spread all over the world now and uh a lot of people are have taken up to sort of your mantle and and your the ability to just think that the easiest way is to just start by starting and learn by doing which is fundamental of massive small change so just tell us how it all started for you if you just roll back those years and and um what frustrated you and yeah um it, you know, I, I moved to a part of town. Um, uh, I lived kind of more in a, a more of an affluent suburb and moved to more an area that had been struggling more with, I think, uh, empty buildings and, and more blight. Uh, and uh, I had a young family at the time. This is, you know, around 2000, 2002, 2003. Um, and I remember just wanting to get involved in doing things. I was a uh, IT uh programmer. So was computers was my day job. Uh, nights, I had a young family, of course, and I played in rock bands a bit. So I was involved with the, the arts community. Um, but I just remember, I, you know, I remember just thinking I want to be involved in general, and I didn't know how to be involved. And I remember thinking, um, you know, I don't really have the skill set for anything related to civics. You know, I don't, I, I didn't study you know, planning or architecture or, uh, you know, or, you know, social justice or anything like that. I just, I saw empty buildings and I saw, you know, streets that I thought could be better. Um, 
and and you know i travel a bit so the nice thing about travel is you get to see how other places do things uh and and you could see opportunities that aren't occurring in your own community so i you know and i tell everybody this thing people ask me well how do you get started what do you do and i i suggest i just joined every every organization and every group i possibly could yeah. um and the way i was able to do this too early on because I, I was had this full-time job doing computer work uh, i just went to my bosses and said look can i just uh, take maybe one day every other week and i'll join this local uh -huh. chamber of commerce organization and it'll be a business networking group and it's a chance for me to help you know i'll help sell our business services of you know uh, of computer work um but then I can also allows me to engage in the actual civic side, which I wanted to be involved in. So they, fortunately my bosses, and I think most companies probably, if they see an opportunity for, you know, to, Hey, this is, can generate income for our business. Uh, and, and, and I would say in general, they see that this is something you're passionate about. Even with the staff I have now, if they tell me they love, you know, mountain biking or, or something, I, you know, and they ask for a sponsorship or something, we're happy to do that um, because, you know, it's, it helps, encourage the employee, the staff, but also it gets, it extends our reach as well. Um, so yeah, I just, I just kind of started showing up and then I just started joining several other organizations at that point. And then you learn pretty quickly when you start showing up at that not many people do. Um, and there's a cast of kind of, we call it these usual suspects that show, yeah. show up to everything. Uh, and it happens all in every city around the world. I'm sure where you guys are as well. Yeah, we got a lot of those. A lot of those here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the can't do's. The can't do. A lot of the can't do's. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And that, well, that was fascinating for me. Well, I had a lot of people that were like a lot of retirees because they had actually had time to give yeah. back, and so they would join these organizations. And they maybe weren't the visionaries so much. Um, they were more like, you know, this is our civic duty to give back. So you know, sure. necessary folks. Um, but I was, you know, I was probably twenty-five. 30 years younger than most of those folks coming in and, 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 uh, and didn't know that I wasn't supposed to be able to do a lot of things that happened. And so just kind of went in naively and putting these ideas out into the ether uh, to make things happen. And, you know, a lot of rolled eyes and scoffs, like whatever, you know, good luck with that. Um, but, you know, it's, it's interesting whenever you can go into an existing organization or organizations or, uh, you know, these, these NGOs or, yeah. And they already have a framework to make things happen. And, and so that's why I tell people when you get involved with them, if they don't have kind of visionary folks involved or people that have new ideas, um, they are often looking for that. So if you can get into those systems, you can really, you have a network and you have resources and teams. And, and at that point, I, you know, the city of my, my city, city of Dallas would come out and say, hey, the, we need to have representatives from the Oak Cliff Chamber of Commerce, which is my neighborhood. Um, get involved with the pedestrian bicycle advisory committee. Does anybody want to do this? And nobody wanted to do it. So I would raise my hand and say, well, I'll do it. Yeah. Um, and so when you start doing those things, they start asking you, well, what does your neighborhood want? And I, you know, you look around and I'm like, well, I'm the only one showing up. So our neighborhood wants more bike lanes or yeah. wants a, a tram or things like that. And so um, you, you, you'll be surprised at by just showing up and getting involved, how fast you can make things happen and how you kind of galvanize a few folks around you. Um, yeah, and just and just start making things change. So that was for me, it was just kind of just showing up, getting involved. And that network, I tell people to this day, why it's important to start joining these organizations and building that network early on is that's gonna help you out for the rest of your life. You're gonna continue like using this network if you need 
you know, as I started restaurants and getting to know my local bankers and getting to know local insurance reps and things like that. So, and, and, and so you then went on to go and form better block uh, in Dallas. What, what was that for, for listeners? What so uh, better block was kind of a, I had, uh, prior to that, I had worked on some projects helping fix up an old theater. And then I started working on the streetcar, which is like a tram, what you guys would call tram uh, initiative. Uh, and that was working. And I started working on bicycle initiatives, try to get in, uh, bike lanes. And and all of those I thought are going to take years to develop, right? And so while I'm working on these, I started seeing, well, how does this all fit together? And that led to the better block. And I was looking at a block of these buildings. Um uh, that I think are very similar kind of in form and in feel and in, in, in uh, zoning as to what you guys would call, probably call a, a high street. Mm-hmm. So the small commercial corridors that'd be nestled into our neighborhoods. Um, and typically they were, they were the old tram stops that we used to have, you know, cause we had these kind of more robust, we call streetcar, streetcar systems, yep. um, you know, 60, 70 years ago that all got pulled out with the advent of the automobile. And I mean, as, as buses started taking off more and things like that, you started seeing these get peeled away. Um, but the nice thing about those former streetcar stops is they created these, these small commercial hubs or nodes within neighborhoods. Uh, and many of those got zoned out of their ability to, to maintain themselves because we no longer had parking for them because they were buildings that were built to the sidewalk. And, you know, if, if you go to the States, we have a lot of these setbacks and these, building setback where you have these surface lots, which obviously deteriorates the walkability, but also if you don't have uh, that parking lot, people don't want to go to these businesses, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but they are, you know, they're designed to be, you know, be utilized by neighborhoods to walk to and to, you know, have a cafe experience or small bookstore mm-hmm. or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And so the better block was really built out of looking at some of these nodes or these commercial hubs and realizing that many of the buildings were empty and many of them couldn't be turned back on because they were zoned out of their ability to be reused because there wasn't enough parking or things like that that was required by the city. And so, uh, um, you know, I had attended some meetings, cities, and, and talked about, like, what can we do to come changing some of the zoning rules and make it easier to turn these back on. And that's when I started learning that, you know, there were lots of rules we'd put in place. It wasn't just the zoning. It was like, if you wanted to have, you know, flowers on the sidewalk, that was going to be $1,000 in permitting. If you wanted to have merchandise outside, you know, if you wanted to have, you know, sandwich boards that just, you know, those A-frame signs that tell you the chalkboard signs, those were $1,000 in permitting. Cafe seating was another permitting uh, fee. So there was a point where I'm like, well, this is, this is so cost prohibitive for a small local business to kind of, start that it's never really going to happen these are never going to get taken off and they're and the size of them is too small for a chain to come in as well it doesn't hit their numbers yeah um so yeah the better block was kind of bore out of this idea of like well there's it's illegal to make these things happen and it's going to take you know a decade to to untangle all these things and we're going to go through every worst case scenario in community meetings about how it's going to be not going to work or it's going to be too much traffic in the neighborhood and be Carmageddon and all these things that people come up with. And I thought, well, what if we just take a weekend and we, and we make it the place we wish it was. And that's what the better block was based on this idea of bringing neighbors together, design it the way we want, finding people we know want to start businesses in the neighborhood, which tends to be a ton of people. You know, when I, I go to rooms now and I ask people like, raise your hand if you've ever dreamed of opening your own little small storefront, little business, little flower shop, bakery, cafe, whatever, half the, half the room will raise its hands. Right. So 
it's a, that's a that's a very normal desire for neighborhood folks to do. Yeah. And and so you know I just kind of tapped into something that was that people already wanted really, and I and it basically gave them permission. Um, even though again I wasn't an authority at all, but you know I learned that you know as long as you start you know kind of acting like you're the authoritative figure. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, and it was important for me also to like say, hey, this is just temporary, you know, so that way if people were worried about worst case scenarios, like, hey, this could, yeah, it could be the end of the world, it could, you know, it could kill business as we know it and be horrible traffic, like, but it's a Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. Let's see what happens, right? Mm -hmm. I think it's a, it's a fascinating exercise because I think um, a lot of what we've seen, coming back to your rules, it's interesting, there was, I wrote a what is called a streetscape design manual for the city of Westminster in London. And I found there was 193 rules associated with putting a street lamp in a street. Oh, wow. It was 193. Yeah. It was unbelievable. And many of them hadn't been cleaned out. And they, they were, contradictory. The they, they were contradictory as well. So these, yeah. so it's, it's funny how these rules become rules, become rules, yeah. and, then, and, and no one cleans out the previous stuff. And, and they almost become impossible. What, what, I, what I loved about what you did there was... was um, was to say let's let's just conceive of, of, of the kind of place we want which in the real world would probably take the local authority to commission some consultants to come up with some sort of strategy uh, who would then prove that it couldn't be done and it would then you know take years as you said to, to to mutate into something meaningful and by that time it's whatever this consultants had come up with it'd be out of date anyway and it's probably out of date the day that they lift their pen from paper so this idea of start by starting and learn by doing, you know, just get up and get, get things going, see, just look at the sense of the possible is an incredibly powerful sort of message to, to a lot of our listeners out there. And I think you became almost that sort of benchmark of, I think I, I, I quoted you in the book as saying, uh, talking to people and saying, let's go out and break every rule in the book this week. I don't know if you did say it, but it, it sounds like exactly the sort of thing you would be saying. Yes. And uh, I just, I just love that idea that, that let's go out and, and effectively, let's challenge the system. Yeah. And and the and the system is quite a fragile system. Um. It it, you know, it's sometimes challenging. It it um, it it crumbles quite quickly. So, I think the example of better block and the way it sort of spawned other other better blocks in other parts of the world became an incredibly good model, or um, you call it guerrilla urbanism, or you call it um, tactical urbanism. There's a whole range of different sort of terms for it. But it became a very powerful sort of model. And on that note, why did you choose to do it from the outside? Why didn't you think, I want these rules to change? Why don't I become a politician and try and change them myself? What was the reason? Why? Well, I did start that, that process, but that's why I realized like the policy side takes years to change. Uh, and again, I was dealing with, you know, you deal with every worst case scenario possible when you start putting out these ideas, like, why don't we make this change? You know, what's that saying that two things people hate the most in life are change and the way things are. Yeah. And so and so if you know that. Um, the other interesting thing I found is like there was no amount of data I could show that would convince people. Um, and, and we've seen that right politically and, you know, through the pandemic. Right. We can show people data. Right. And, and, and if they don't believe the data, they're just going to turn around and say, well, I don't believe the sources or this is the reason why this is. Or, so it really, you know, if you're trying to go through fact based or reasoning kind of thing, that doesn't even work for you. What what the way people often make their decisions, I found, um, is based on their emotions. 
yeah. and, how, and how they feel, right? And so the nice thing about the better block was it allowed me to sculpt a space, right? That was comfortable and in the neighborhood and cozy and beautiful, right? And have people come into the space. And at that point, they're having an emotion. And hopefully it's a positive emotion attached to the space. And they can say, look, I don't know about this policy or I don't like this or this. It's like, But I like how this feels. I like how the space acts. And I like how how the community gathers in this space and how we are together. And so I, I'll vote for that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and so and that's where I can, it, it gives me a little bit of um you know, backing to continue doing these projects and all. But, and, and I also found it, you know, I think that system that we developed through the Better Block, it's actually a system that exists. It's that iterative process, right, that you see in programming and things like that. It, it's, as I started doing deeper dives into the work we were doing, I found this is really kind of the way things happen anyways, when you actually want to have change. If you try to go through that natural bureaucratic process, like you mentioned, it's like, it could take years and, and things have changed from the time that you, you came up with the idea to 10 years later, you know, the variables have changed and the way we do things are different. You know, I can give examples of like, you know, there's a point where we said we had policy in our neighborhood that said, look, we want to take this area and we're going to allow certain uses, but we don't want to have like fabrication in this space. Um, and well, within that time, when they said when their, their thoughts are massive manufacturing with semi trucks coming in and dropping off, you know, large infrastructure pieces to work to assemble together, they we hadn't factored in the idea of this digital fabrication, light scale, like you know, just three D printers, yeah, 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 CNC routing, things like that. So, so you know, if if you hadn't forecasted like this is technology has changed to allow us to actually do light fabrication within neighborhoods that yeah. isn't disruptive yeah. um and then, then you, you basically just cut yourself off as a community to a possible industry that could you know because you know at the end of the day cities are built on what labor markets so it's like if those you take away those opportunities you're just stifling that city's ability to maintain right yeah yeah i know and, and the quality of a neighborhood has to have all those has to have those needs has to be those needs met uh, Absolutely. You know, so uh, it's it's something we lose sight of, and I, I I love the fact you're using the word neighborhood in uh, in your work because um, one of the things I wrote about a couple of years ago is that we haven't built a one new urban neighborhood anywhere in the world in the past three generations. We've regenerated old neighborhoods like your your old neighborhoods that we could bring back to life, the Williamsburgs and the um, the Centiers in Paris or the Shoreditches in London. There's some great examples of regenerating old places and we've done those incredibly well but we kind of lost sight of what a neighborhood actually means and um a neighborhood for me is has never just been a collection of a couple of schemes or a couple of housing estates they don't go up to make a neighborhood and it's almost impossible for a neighborhood to form in some of these places so we're trying to get back to this idea this this the genesis of the urban neighborhood what what gives it kind of meaning and roots and and, and potential and your point about being more permissive about about accepting the fact that the local plumber who wants to go and beat tin to make a you know a water tank or something can locate in your neighborhood because he is part of that service thing he might be a noisy neighbor but you know he learns to deal with those sorts of issues anyway so it's quite interesting looking at the whole challenge of of um neighborhood building and um and what are the preconditions you need to try and put those those into place yeah, absolutely yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the other thing on, you know, neighborhood or helping kind of connect a neighborhood, I found, especially through now that I've kind of taken on this re restaurant -y kind of world since I've owned a few of these, it's 
people, communities are looking for a sense of belonging. Yeah. And so uh, are people within communities. So, um, you know, you have that concept of a third place that we all know, you know, and, 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 I'm, and within the restaurant world that I'm developing, even with the better blocks, I was kind of developing that. But it, even drilling down further, when I started programming these spaces with like, OK, let's do a night for the bicycle group. Let's do a night for the beekeepers and let's do the night for the bakers. And yeah. you have these folks that are looking for the, like, oh, oh, well, I have this is our neighborhood. Look at these things that we have, these these resources and these groups. And I can feel a sense of belonging because, you know, that's you read all these studies as people get older in these neighborhoods, they feel more lonely and isolated. And if you can create more avenues to connect communities or connect people within communities together, it just it it it. it it continues to, 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 to grow that, 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 that neighborhood thing that we want in the end, that, that magical piece that's beyond just the actual physical spaces themselves. Yeah. And it's something we've lost sight of. You know, we've, um, I mean, when you mentioned at the beginning, you weren't an architect or a planner or um, an engineer, uh, it was probably your strength that you weren't polluted by the system. Oh yeah, yeah. No, we talked about that. Once, a lot you, of that. once you have that in your in your blood, it's difficult to. A lot of the people we've been interviewing are kind of frustrated professionals, uh, or yeah. to be people who wanted to do that, who wanted to be in in the civic realm, as you as you as you state, but uh, and never knew how to get there. And it's it's often to people who outside they they're, they're the lone wolves, or they're outside the pack, I think, or outside the tribe, who uh, who tend to be the kind of people doing this this kind of work. Um, it's interesting going back to your example of um, the way you expanded your business or expanded your idea of actually then investing in your neighborhood of then yeah. saying, you know, I'll, I'll go into a restaurant or I'll go into a brewery or I'll go into some other, I'll invest in a particular building or something. So this idea that this is a progressive thing, it's not just about strategy. It's about, it's about the do part. And that's what we spoke about initially is that there's so many can, can't do people. And we sense this around, around us is, um, there's a lot of goodwill, but that goodwill is often stymied by, you know, the people who, who don't want change. Uh, exactly the kind of, you know, the sense of the demographics of the people that you mentioned that you that are problematic in your place. We've got we've got here, and yet underneath that, is an enormous raft of people who just want to do things. If you if you make a call to someone, like I mentioned uh, a bit earlier, we want to start a film festival. It's amazing how many people come out the woodwork. Yeah. Yeah, I like that idea. I'll get it. And actually what they're really talking about is not really about the film. It's actually about the social aspects of how you do it, how yeah. you create that sort of social movement in such a way that starts bringing people together for different reasons. And yeah, it's, it's almost exactly what, what we experience in, in our little town. Right? So we, we invested in a, in a small restaurant as well as our community center, a group of us. I think we're seven families uh, who, who bought into this place that was going to close. And it's, it's fantastic having a commitment to a place because you, you know, um, Isaac was one of the guys who worked there as a, as a waiter. What did you do? No, I wasn't a waiter. I was, what a, did you do? I was a dishwasher. A dishwasher. He, was, he washed okay. dishes in the place. And so and a lot of the kids in the, in the, in the neighborhood have come through uh, the little Spanish restaurant we, we've owned in, yeah. and, uh, and, and have come out the other end with a bit of experience and a bit of knowledge and a bit of understanding what it is to, you know, commit yourself to work. <laughs> so I think it's, <laughs> yeah. it's been fascinating. Yeah. Um, I was reading on your website that you, you've written, or someone's written, uh, cities with uh, influence of better block approach have uh, reported greater understanding and urgency by elected officials for permanent change. What sort of permanent change 
can happen after this kind of better block approach occurs. Yeah, there's actually so, several elements in, in, in a, when we do projects. So, so the better block kind of it hits on kind of the, the public realm, public space, the private spaces as well, because, you know, the public space, we're, we're affecting the streets and, you know, adding maybe shade trees and, and bicycle infrastructure, maybe widening sidewalks. Uh, we're looking at these businesses that that work in conjunction. So it's uh, with that infrastructure. So like, OK, you have a wider sidewalk. Now we, we should have. Um, a cafe, a ca cafe seating. And then once you have a cafe, you look at the symbiotic businesses with that. And they're like, oh, oh if we have a cafe, you should have a bookstore, you know, and that, that yeah. pairs well together. And then, you know, you, uh, and so when we gather folks together for a better block, we're, we're needing folks that, you know, want to start businesses. We're getting, we need folks that want to, are passionate about, let's say, bicycling or uh, uh, dog walking or whatever that may be, um, tr landscaping. Um, and then uh, people that are uh, passionate about marketing, you know, so they're we're talking about the programmed events. You know, we're going to have a, an outdoor market here or we're going to have, you know, a show um, and then help people that are in, in passionate about politics or, or, you know, just like, hey, I want to be engaged and I want to be more of a, you know, or maybe a potential representative for the neighborhood for future things. And so the future things that we've seen come out, the permanency uh, right off the bat. Uh, civic engagement uh, in those areas is just skyrockets and we've so often seen folks become elected officials after these projects because they've gotten involved and they've just learned you guys know whenever you're starting probably in work in the neighborhood civic work you, you come you start with like i don't where do i you know where do i begin you know who, who's you know i want to get let's say uh, bicycle infrastructure you know who would i talk to you know and, and you learn you know uh, you slowly start going to meetings, you talk to somebody, it's in a civic role, and they're like, well, there's actually a, a committee uh, within the city, and you go meet this committee and talk and put your idea out there. Mm -hmm. You talk to your elected official. The better block, we jokingly call it speed dating for communities because it forced all of these folks into the mix, right? And then you immediately meet all of the players, like, oh, this is the city council member, here's the person, here's, city, here's the city staff members who actually make these things happen. Yeah. Here's, um, you know, how things get marketed <laughs> here's here's how infrastructure gets built in the neighborhood mm -hmm. and so right off that bat that that ability for people to see how things get done in a city gets them more projects can happen after the better block pretty quickly after that like oh this is how i start businesses and this is how i you know make make whatever random change occur um but we, we've seen many street changes happen after projects typically orient walkable oriented street changes will occur um because we we mock them up we've had projects where we were just mocking up uh you know we brought in shade trees that we put in kept in pots and we painted bike lanes in the, on the streetscape to kind of thin the, thin the streets out and allow them to be multimodal mm -hmm. and we've had cities afterwards go like hey this works you proved it let's go ahead and just we're going to stripe it now after the project's <laughs> over <laughs> they stripe it and they plant the trees um that's happened in several projects. Um, um, businesses, um, a lot of these pop-up businesses. You see, so my, uh, you know, my goal in that project, under uh, these projects, were really, you know, almost self-serving. I, I just wanted to have a, you know, someone create a bookstore in my neighborhood, <laughs> and so, and so, as as much as it sounds like selfless work, it was very much, you know, like selfish in the sense of like I feel like I deserve you know, a great cafe to go to on my bicycle yeah. to take my kids to. So, it, you know, there was a part of this was just 
me wanting to build the neighborhood I wanted to live in. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's absolutely wonderful. I noticed that you've received the Champion of Change Award from the U.S. White House. So congratulations for that. That's a that's a really good honor. And it's uh, ironic whenever you broke break laws and you get and you, you get, get, you get awarded the White House. <laughs> at the national level. Yeah. Isn't that the secret? You know, is to, is to break a rule and then uh, you know become a president. I suppose yeah, easier to ask forgiveness. I mean, think about it. <laughs> all of our revolutions were kind of started by by breaking rules, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. In terms of funding for these projects, are they are they privately funded by by donors that are within the city that wouldn't change themselves like you selfish <laughs> or, so, um... yeah so well right off the bat that they these early especially the early better blocks we did these things on like with just basically passing a hat around <laughs> to friends and all and i i doubt we raised more than a thousand dollars collectively in these projects what we would do is actually borrow things and since it was ever these projects were temporary yeah. you know we could go to local businesses and say look um do you guys have a most like office complexes or whatnot, you can say, do you have spare chairs? And you'll be surprised. Oh, we got a warehouse full of chairs because we started this renovation and we got rid of these old chairs and upgraded to new chairs or these spare tables. So I'd go around just kind of asking for things to borrow. We would um, take, you know, reclaimed old pallets that we use for, you know, shipping and things like that and cut those up and turn them into outdoor seating and benches, uh, go to landscape businesses that were doing major projects to you know install trees for a new hotel coming down the road you know and we say like could we borrow those trees before they mm -hmm. get installed and just put them in our our project site mm -hmm. probably the only thing i really spent money on was paint you know uh, we'd go to um local landlords who had these empty spaces and say let us can we you know we bring the neighborhood together we'll help paint it and kind of fix it up a little bit yeah. uh, and put a temporary use in again my ulterior motive was to put somebody in that i wanted to have maybe have a permanent business there but this is a chance for them to test that idea out uh, and so yeah I, I mean shockingly for shockingly very little money you know there's there's a saying i liked a lot by a, a, a former governor in, a, in brazil um who said uh, you know if you want, if you want to see, uh, if you want to see things happen in your neighborhood, you need to take a zero away from your budget. If you want to see ultimate, you know, you know, uh, you know, sustainability and, and a few other things he mentioned, he was like, take two zeros away from your budget. Um, and then when you go come down to that, like, well, how do you make things happen? Then you start taking zeros away from your budget. He's like, you, you have to manage the equation of co-responsibility. He says so. Uh, this idea of you, well, you know, I'm bringing a hundred people in from the neighborhood. And you're giving them all a small piece of this block, right? Yeah. Uh, to help you with. So you're getting somebody who's like, "Hey, I know how to. I've always wanted to sell, you know, clothes, and I happen to have some vintage clothes in rack. Like, great, you come out here, and um, and you, you know, you go to the the local, you know, uh, art you know, person that wants to start an art art supply store, and say like, "Well, I'll do art programming classes in this space." And again, you're giving you're giving them all a small piece of this. You go to the local restaurants and say, hey, do you have a spare coffee maker? We're going to do a coffee shop here. Or you find some of these resources. Or you go to places that actually sell, you know, coffee machines. Just and you say, you, know, yeah. you have yeah. a demo machine. And they always do. You know, yeah. they're, they're going around showing, like, can we set up your demo machine in this space? Because, again, I'm going to pair you with this potential entrepreneur who yeah. wants to start this business. And they don't even know where to get started, right? So you're doing a lot of, like, I, I say it's like you're kind of the – 
you're the guy in those those old movies uh, in prison who's out, you know, who's going out and finding all the like, I'll get the nail file, I'll get the, you know, so. the yeah. can of beans. <laughs> you know. yeah. no, it's, 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 it's wonderful to see that. I mean, it's, a lot of what we're talking about is this whole question of bottom up change. Um, yeah. Top down change hasn't created the qualities of places that we really want. And it's really around that bottom up stuff that you can't put your finger on because one of the outcomes of bottom up change is unpredictability. And a lot of people don't like unpredictability. If you say to someone, sorry, there were unpredictable outcomes here, oh, we don't like it. Yet unpredictability is actually innovation. Absolutely. Um, yeah. if, you, if you just change the word, you know, actually what we're really talking about is what's likely to come out of here is things that we never expected would ever come out of here. And I'm sure there must have been your experience of all of a sudden things coming from sort of the left field that uh, you had no idea were coming and actually added so much more to what you were doing. Well, that was, yeah, very commonplace. And, and projects were just, again, it's, it's like you talked about with your film festival. You just kind of assemble this, the framework for some things to occur and you, you invite the community in. Um, and I tell people that, you know, what gets created out of these, especially when you don't have a lot of money, is that you get these creative solutions that are, you know, I talk about a neighborhood or these blocks are often built out of like, think about the neighborhood or the community as a, you know, uh, the people as these ingredients, right? Yeah. And, and you're going to create a recipe based on these random ingredients you have, and you have no idea what this is going to, you know, what this souffle is going to look like, this casserole that you're going to create yeah. that has some people have this skill, some people have this skill, and it's, and it, it is a bit chaotic and it is a bit, uh, um, non-uniform you know and it, it, it but it but it creates these mat these amazing mashups if you think about you know the new things that get created anywhere uh, hip-hop music you know it's it came out of this mashup of right taking small pieces and parts of other music and assembling it into something that you would have never thought and we would have never imagined oh you can actually create an entire movement based on this and then you know in the beginning that everyone was upset about it like hey you're taking from this and taking from you can't do that and all and then in the end it becomes a you know the the de rigor of how we do music you know and yeah. so it's you know I think this thing about being counterintuitive just coming back to the music um, uh, um example uh, our music at the start of the podcast was done by a guy called Math Potts who's a jazz musician and it's interesting if you look at say the structure of jazz or the structure of music generally is about this idea of having an order of some sort within which creativity can happen. Yeah. And I suppose jazz is probably that point which is closer to the chaotic end than it is to the ordered end. Um, and the challenge we've got all the time is to recognize that, this, that we don't stay in chaos for too long. Uh, we, we ascend into some sort of order quite quickly. But actually what you really want is you really want that frisson to happen between, between chaos and order because that's really where creativity happens. That's really where you generate your best best set of ideas and your best chances and best possible outcomes. And interesting, when we talk to, um, to Math, Math has got a similar kind of approach to you, which is that classic counterintuitive. I looked at something through the other side of the lens. You looked at the policy side of the lens. You looked at it from, this is what I want sort of um, um, uh, from my neighborhood. Uh, and he, he used to run the government's homeless unit here and recognized that he wasn't solving homeless problems. Uh, he was um, he was reinforcing people. He was making them lonelier. So what he did is he created an organisation called Camarados, uh, which was um, they put a, uh, a sofa out on a on a on a street with a pot of, pot of tea and some biscuits, and said to people, "Let's just chat." And he recognised that what homeless people really wanted was friends. 
But actually oh, wow. the housing part was the secondary part of their needs. Their primary part was actually that they wanted to try and build relationships between people. And that's that very basic instinct we have as, as, uh, as humans, is to make that, is to require those social links. We want to be part of something. We want to be part of something. We want to identify your thing about sense of belonging is absolutely crucial to what the, you know, the work you're doing. And I think the work we're all trying to do here. Um, so it's it's interesting that that music analogy, and I believe you you also a musician. Um, how did you get into that? Oh, well, my fa- my family's all uh, kind of a you know southern in the U.S. We have this kind of this this uh, actually it was probably an outcropping. I think of a, a mixture of like with the South, it's like, it's a gumbo. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. You're taking uh, African slave slaves that were brought here or stolen, taken here. And the music they created with kind of the music of the Irish and the Celtic and the Appalachian music. Zydeco music, or is it similar to Zydeco music? Zydeco, yeah, mixed with kind of that Appalachian Celtic thing that was happening. Those instrumentations. And so my family is is from that. I come from Oklahoma and and states that are that were had this rich tradition of 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 yeah kind of this mountain music almost and so i my family is all from that so we were naturally became musicians and i, I so i was born with basically a guitar in my hand uh, uh so a lot of folk traditions there and so so i tell people and even my kids to this day they they're all musicians we just it's in our dna to become musicians even it wasn't even something that i it's funny my, my son's trying to make a career out of music and I, I always tell him like like it's really just kind of within us and so you can actually do other things because you're going to play music whether you like it or not yeah yeah yeah. Um, am I right in thinking that you, you are no longer in charge of a better lot? You, you resigned from that to focus on your restaurants. Is that right? That's right. So I and I, I'm still I, still on the board, uh, but I, it's it's a fully operation operational organization unto itself now. Mm-hmm. There's a uh, a woman named Krista Nightingale who's our uh, executive director. Who I uh, I mean we I was communicating with her this morning, so we talk very regularly still, and I still present around the world uh, better block so i do a lot of speaking on it mm. um, but it's the restaurants have become now i've got um five of them so it's it's basically it's taken up my most of my bandwidth at this point the beauty on the be- the restaurant thing though is that you know i learned how to make restaurants based on my work in better blocks and studying you know oftentimes these uh the the the, the things that would help kind of bring a neighborhood together and make change, make things happen, started by creating this like neighborhood watering hole, you know, which whether it was a cafe or a pub, right? Uh, and now I've since created a cafe and I have a pub. <laughs> and so, and they still continue to become the places I gather neighborhoods together. And, you know, the brewery is now an extension of, of like where we come together to talk about making things happen. In fact, we're having meetings here the next couple of weeks talking about changing our parking requirements within our city and all so it's just you know people want a re- excuse to come together and maybe get, have a beer or have a cup of coffee and, mm-hmm. and and talk about you know making better places yeah well i think i think the instinct in people is that we often thought it was good food that was going to get people to come to places but actually it's just good places yeah. that uh that create the condition for people to go and then food is coincidental and i think most people go to restaurants because they want to see friends, they want to meet people, they want to socialize. It's, uh, and I think the pandemic showed that. Um, the day, the, day uh, the, the, um, the lockdown lifted here, which was the yeah. 4th of July, funny enough, it was the 4th of July. Was it? Yeah, 4th of July. I didn't know that. And uh, we couldn't believe how many people streamed into our restaurant. 
It was just phenomenal. We had people, in fact, I called the police because we were all too close. That was the, ah, okay. someone complained, really? some can't do, said, yeah. uh, people are standing too close to one another. Um, so it, it's, it's phenomenal. What's next for Jason Roberts? What's, what's your, what's your plan? Well, I, I would, I would, I still haven't done any real true development. Um, so for me, you know, there has been a, a thread through all of these projects I've done. And, and there is a, this kind of, I think there is a, a place this wants to eventually go to. So for me, it, it, you know, it's bike lanes and it moved into trans, you know, trams and streetcars and fixing up old buildings, these blocks of buildings. And so that next iteration for me is to be able to, you know, can I actually build a building? Something built, yeah. Um, yeah. But if you take the same principles of what you've been doing, which is you curating a neighborhood, and if it happens to be the hardware of the neighborhood, then if you take those principles, there's no reason why it can't work for you. I mean, it's as simple as that. Um, I hope so. We'll see. Uh, yeah, it's definitely... Yeah, it's uh, we've, we've been interviewing a number of people. In fact, we interviewed a couple, Jonathan Smales, who was one of the former... He was, he was, a, he was a CEO of Greenpeace in the UK. In the UK. Wow. And, um, and he's gone on to become a developer now, where he's basically saying, you know, I deserve to have a, a decent street, a decent coffee bar. Uh, where I, you know I can go down to and I could imagine my kids going down to, so he's putting his money where his mouth is as well and saying, look, let's let's delve into this kind of world. Um, if you if you keep it small, if you keep the changes small, if you don't become too ambitious, mm. there's some great examples of regenerated neighbourhoods and where where the role of them of a person like yourself is more like the enabling developer, or the curator, or the impresario, if you want to call that the impresario of the neighbourhood, and. Uh, you know, I mean, power to you to, to, to do it. I, I really hope that it goes well for you, um, Jason. Thank you. Because honestly, you, you have become an incredible inspiration. In fact, I was in Cape Town um, beginning of beginning of the last year, beginning of last year, and uh, everyone was talking about you. Uh, in oh, fact, really? Cape Town? They colonized a street, and, uh, oh, this is a Jason Roberts kind of principle. You know, we're doing this. <laughs> That's I think so they, funny. They went, and, they went the classic thing. They went and cleaned out a couple of cars and created a little street, street space. Uh, the street market um, was put down. And I, and I chatted to people, and they said, oh, they saw your TED Talk in whatever it was. Wow. As long ago That's as that. So, um, so don't underestimate the power of, um, of being radical, um, but also being <laughs> mental at the same time. I think that's the, that's the challenge. So that's I think we, we've probably got to the end of our interview. Is there any other issues that you wanted to... Five more minutes or so, but just, okay. just out of interest, what would be your, uh, you know, you're in a restaurant, you started a restaurant chain now. Completely outrageous to the topic at hand, by the way, but what's your favorite, what's your favorite uh, food? Is it, is it in line with your sort of like unique creative thing or is it just like steak and chips or something? <laughs> oh yeah, I my favorite food. I mean, if anything, I, I love like, I'm pretty basic. I love great breads. I love just simple, you know, uh, you know, quality cheeses, you know, and so, you know, right now we're doing a deli next to our brewery. So it's, you know, doing these pile high sandwiches where we're making our own pastrami's and our own loxes. And I, I just, I just like the making process and all that back end stuff. Yeah. Uh, curing yeah. our own meats and things like that. That's to me is that's probably my favorite foods. Really, things that we can kind of assemble. Like metaphor for your life, isn't? It? <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. I think so. I think so. Yeah. Well, you're living the dream, and um, uh, thanks so much for all you've done. Uh, you've certainly become a, a beacon of a lot of people out there. Uh, you certainly tick the box of people who've done amazing things in their lives and have resisted 
uh, the top-down hand of officialdom uh, quite well. And uh, thanks again. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. This has been great.